Hello everyone, it's G3, and recently I had an actual water cooler conversation with Jordi Visser, where we discussed how the convergence of data and analytics, AI, and the wealth of the baby boomers will lead to dramatic changes in our approach to living longer, healthier lives. Now, Jordi believes, as I do, that as people live longer and healthier, it will have a profound impact on the markets and our economy, and we will be exploring all of that in the weeks and months ahead. But to establish the context for this longevity series, I spoke to Jordi about his own health journey. Because as anyone who knows him knows, he's obsessed with anti-aging and has gone way down the rabbit hole on this topic. And believe me, he's got lots to say. So please, check out important disclosures at the end of the episode and get ready for a different kind of green marbles. Jordy, this episode has been a long time coming. I'm excited to do it. I wouldn't call it a departure so much as an expansion of the topics that we normally cover. And for people that hang out with you, as I do, it's really not a surprise because anyone who knows you knows you are passionate about longevity from a multiple of perspectives. You have studied it from several different vantage points. You look at it in terms of your personal and physical health, but you've also studied the connection between health and happiness and personal relationships. And last but certainly not least, I know you've thought long and hard about how our economy and the markets will be impacted by advancements made in anti-aging technologies. So there's a lot to cover. We're not going to cover it all today, but hopefully we can make a good dent. And I would like to start on your personal journey. What was your inspiration behind investigating and learning about anti-aging? The inspiration is very simple for me, and I think it's simple for everyone else, which is we are all in some way inspired by our family. And for me, the initial kind of look for me at aging, as it was, I'm sure, for almost everyone, was my grandparents. And in particular, when I was 26, my grandfather, Charlie, died in, I guess it was 93. He was 75 years old. Now, what I remember is his final 10 to 15 years, what I saw was a lot of pain. He was having trouble walking. I remember going on family events and eventually he, had, he couldn't walk through Disney and things like that. And I started immediately looking at the patterns and just saying, I don't want to have that pain when I get to my 60s and my 50s. So that was the first inspiration was just seeing him. His wife, my grandmother, text. She died 25 years later at the age of 97. And I don't know how many of those final years were pain, but they were certainly not her jogging around a, a track. And both of those experiences basically said to me that I really didn't want to get to that point. And most people I know, when I say, I think you're going to live past 100 if you take care of yourself, their first reaction is, I don't want to live past 100. And I think most of that comes from the visualization they see. Now, I have four children, and I also want to know about aging so I can pass along that wisdom because as a kid, you really don't get a lot of guidance. A lot of kids go through their parents thinking they know what's best for them in terms of food. And as we go through this, I think there's a lot of implications for that for people because 
this whole concept of what is health, it cannot be solved with a particular diet. There has to be an understanding and there has to be flexibility in your thinking. But the single most important thing that you have is your life. And people should spend a lot more time on, in my opinion, that's why I've spent so much time. So that's the inspiration at the end of the day is family. Well, let's talk about your life today. What percentage of your time is spent learning on topics related to anti-aging and longevity each year? What's your best guess? So let's say from 1993 to 2000, the amount of reading I did on it was like most people would be a book. Maybe I'd buy a couple self-help books a year on a variety of topics, nutrition, exercise, meditation, whatever, but it wouldn't be a lot. But then a major thing happened for me. And I would say the most important year on this journey was 2007 because I turned 40. I started having pains where I shouldn't have pains. <laughs> getting out of cars, walking. And I just decided at that point that, okay, I'm in good, healthy position. But my learning at that point was focused on really one thing, which was, okay, let's keep a stable weight and let's exercise without paying attention to anything else in great detail. And the iPhone happened in 2007, the same year that I turned 40. And I think the existing of those events has triggered, and this is not a joke, there's not a single day where I don't read new research on longevity, aging, nutrition, exercise. I have a completely open mind to tweaking any of the beliefs I have and continually looking for new research. And luckily, even if it's a food, like you saw me in the pantry today, I was having mussels and I was talking to you about how mussels are a great replacement for organ meat. All things like that, I spend time looking for it to make sure that I'm getting a balanced, diverse diet with a lot of different nutrients. And some of that takes reading every single day. I was a little jealous of your lunch because I had a salad that didn't look nearly as colorful or delicious as yours. <laughs> yeah. So well, maybe I'll bring you lunch tomorrow. I bring All my right. lunch uh, every day. It's on record. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that when you first decided to accelerate your learning, the first thing you didn't do was sign up for a bunch of classes at a local college, right? Oh, G3, you know how much I <laughs> hate the memories of school, the thought of school, the silos. Yeah, I've said it before on here and I've said it pretty much at every speaking event I've been to. And luckily my father didn't graduate high school, got his GED, but he dropped out early. And Thank God he didn't graduate <laughs> high school. <laughs> he, was, he was a cynic on everything. And he taught my brain to, I think, the important thing on this, which is silos don't spend enough time going across disciplines and giving the chance to connect dots. And the content is being provided in the most boring sage on the stage routine that can possibly be there. There's a reason why there's no Broadway plays with a person just standing up there <laughs> reciting their memories of what they, it's just, I can't even deal with it. So the nutrition, the health, the aging side, you have to think about them as interrelated to a many different disciplines. So as I go through learning it, I did have to find a way to break it down into different areas and then think about how that one area impacts another area. And I think an example of it and one that we can talk about because it eventually led to something that I presented to you that you did and other people have too. In June of 2021, there was a study that came out from the American Heart Association. So the only part of my physicals that has ever been worrisome to doctors has been that my blood pressure has always been around 130 over 80. And I say always because when I was 26, it was 130 over 80 and it's stayed around there the entire time. And then a few years ago, it 
tried to go a little higher to 140, maybe 145. And so I started changing my diet a little bit more, trying to drive it back down, which I've been successful at. Not to get it below 130, but to get it back down just to show, to kind of offset the aging process. So I read a lot of stuff on blood pressure and the American Heart Association had a study that came out that basically talked about the relationship between breathing and blood pressure. So the interesting thing about this is about, I think it's 65% of adults over the age of 50 have above normal blood pressure. So that what that says to me is that blood pressure is a gauge of aging that you want to pay attention to. Only 7.5% of people below the age of 39 or in the 18 to 39 area have hypertension where the number gets up towards 60 above. So you can see the aging impact as you're getting older, your blood pressure is going to change. Well, what this study did is it brought back in that breathing is a major part of blood pressure going higher. And the study said that if you use a simple breathing device, a resistance breathing device, so something that you have to breathe into that restricts the airflow, if you do that, it will have the same impact and reduction of your blood pressure as medicine. Now, obviously, that's much better for people if they can do it. And I went online and I went to go see how much this thing costs. And I bought one. It was like $40. I can't remember. And you bought a bunch of them for the holidays last year, didn't you? Yeah, I did. So the reason this is interesting and how it gets into other places, it made me think, okay, what areas of thought were provoked by this breathing relative to heart? What would happen? So here are a bunch of the things that go on that I went through. We sit a lot. When we sit, it's harder for us to breathe from our diaphragm. Our diaphragm and deep breathing exercises where you're not breathing from your chest gets more oxygen into your blood. If you get more oxygen into your blood, it's good for your heart and your blood pressure. If you're on your iPhone all the time, your neck is generally down. It's bad. You're going to do more chest breathing. If you're anxiety filled, you're going to do more chest breathing. Has implications for your blood pressure. Obesity. You can't bend your stomach. You can't be athletic. You can't go through it. It's going to have implications for your blood pressure. All of these things directly lead back to the blood oxygen level. And during COVID, we went from respiratories to pre-existing conditions on the heart and it was leading to people dying. And the blood oxygen level became a major theme that people wanted to know. Everyone wanted to go out, and I forget what the device is for measuring your blood oxygen level, but everyone wanted to go out and get them. And so all of a sudden, oxygen became a very important thing. Now, when you ask people what do they need to live, food and water is the answer. But the rule of threes states that you will die in approximately three minutes without oxygen. You will die in approximately three hours without shelter if you're in harsh conditions. You will die in around three days without water and you'll die within around three weeks without food. Oxygen is at the top of the list. I spent more time going through it. I got the breathing device. I spent more time looking at the impacts it was having. I think you saw some of the impacts in terms of having a breathing device gave you more endurance. It expands your lung capacity. It also strengthens your lungs. If you don't drink enough water, your lungs weaken. I spent an enormous amount of time on thinking about my lungs, which I never thought about because I just always said, well, I don't smoke. I go get my physical. They don't tell me I have any lung problems. But the reality is if you're a chest breather, it's an issue. So that led to me spending more time on meditation. I do my breathing every single day with the breather, but I also meditate each morning. So that's the way I take one simple thing, a study, and expand it into a new thing. And now I've 
learn more about the lungs than I knew way before. So when you say expanded into other things, we have a mutual friend who shall remain nameless for now because you never know, maybe he'll be a guest on our podcast soon. And he has called you a systems thinker. Can you define what systems thinking is and how that approach differs from the more traditional linear approach to thinking? Well, I'll tell you this. Last week, I couldn't have answered this question because I had honestly never heard the term. So I went back and looked just to get a sense as to what he was talking about. And I agree with his thought process. It is the way I think about markets that way. I think about pretty much every problem I solve. Some of it is related to skepticism and curiosity, meaning my father told me, don't believe anything you heard. It's an opinion. And I believe there's a positive and negative for everything in terms of there's never an outcome that's pure. So by definition, if someone says vegetarian's the best diet, no, Atkins isn't the best. There's no such thing. And I've gone through this time and time again, that if people become vegans, they become vegetarians. There's an outcome they're not thinking about. So systems thinking from what I saw is really a problem solving approach that examines the relationships between functions with inside a system or any problem you're trying to solve. So you don't want to leave something out. You want to think about them. So when it comes to aging as the problem, what is the cause of aging or what do you have to do to slow down the aging process? I spent a lot of time on a lot of different parts of it, developed my own functions, as I said, or my own areas to start from. And whether it's nutrition, whether it's exercise, whether it's the brain and mind, whether it's the microbiome, it doesn't really, all of those things to me, are allowing you to age in a manner that's good. So system thinking is the way I approach the problem. I don't just say, oh, if I lose weight, I'll be fine. So linear thinking, plain and simple, people hear that to extend, to not die early, they should lose weight. That's a common thing that comes out from doctors. You have to lose weight. So I go, okay, I'll lose weight. The linear thinking is I like meat. I don't want to give up meat. So I'll go do the Atkins diet. That way I'm solving the problem. I'm losing weight, but I still get to eat meat, which will work. You will lose weight, but then you're eating bacon all day long and not having the amount of vegetables you should have necessarily or fruits. You're giving up on a lot of nutrients. And the question is, is that really solving the bigger problem or is that just assuming that if I lose weight, I'll live longer? And that's just not true. A CIO has to be a system sinker or at least a good one, right? I'll even go further. At Morgan Stanley, when you trade derivatives and you run a portfolio, if you add a new option into the position and then you hedge it out with stock, there are a variety of moving pieces. You're taking different risk. You're taking time risk. You're taking volatility risk. You're taking a whole bunch of different things without getting into the weeds. There is no way to eliminate all risk. And that's the whole point is that no matter what you do, there are consequences to those decisions. And within a portfolio, it's the same thing. And I think about it always that way. I remember we were practicing briefly for the podcast. The test one that you did was all on my smoothies. So I was thinking about that as we were prepping to do this. And I'm like, okay, the smoothie we used as a portfolio, like what's a, what's a good portfolio? How is a smoothie like a good portfolio? Well, the reality is a good portfolio is definitely a good way to think about aging. All right. Well, let's talk about the way the medical community thinks about aging. And as you contrast that with the way in which you approach it, if you could, please touch upon your concept of lifespan and health span. 
Before we go there, I was just thinking about something. My brain wanders sometimes. So I was trying for some reason, I was like, okay, a portfolio is a good analysis, but let me just give something today related to COVID that's front page news. So every time we do a markets podcast for the last two years, it's been on inflation. And inflation is basically part of what happened from all the money printing. So again, if you get back into the construct of a portfolio, like you make one decision, it impacts other parts. When you print lots of money, you create inflation. And someone today had read back the paper I wrote in 2020 at the end of the year, and it was all about the fact that I don't know how people don't understand that you're going to get inflation. You can't print this much money. But she reminded me that one of the lines in there, I'm not going to remember exactly, but it was giving elected officials the keys to the printing press is the equivalent of giving a gambling addict the keys to the casino or something like that. <laughs> that was not something I created, but it was a line I used yeah. in the paper. I think it came from the FT. But it is when you're thinking about systems thinking and you're trying to solve a problem, you print lots of money. Well, what inherently did you not think about? Well, you're making a bet on when the vaccine is going to come out. So if the vaccine comes out faster than the two and a half years that you expected, you put too much money in the system and you're going to end up with inflation because people are going to go spend it because they're going to allowed to go outside. And that's basically what happens. So anytime you make a decision, not just on a portfolio, everything in life that has consequences. That's where you have to think. If you choose a diet, if you choose an exercise, whatever it is, it has implications and you have to think down the road for what it is. If you take medicine to segue back into that, it's not a healthcare system. It's a sick care system. We are treating symptoms. We are giving medicine to people. But the whole concept of books being written that aging is the disease and getting to the point of solving aging as a disease, as opposed to solving the diseases, which are a cause of age. And that is something I believe in. The books that have come out, particularly David Sinclair's book, is probably the most important. Could you describe when you say David Sinclair's book, what book you're referring to? So the name of it's Lifespan. And you asked me the question about the difference between lifespan and health span. So yeah. a simple equation, going back to my grandmother and grandfather, lifespan less health span is the years of pain that you have. So what you want to get to and what I believe can happen is you want to narrow that to close to zero. You want your health to last as long as your life and the closer we can get to that. So the name of his book was Lifespan. There's some other words in there, but David Sinclair has a podcast. We'll find it and we'll yeah. put it in the show notes. That book had a big impact on me. And one of the things he said, which gets into the concept of getting to the answer of aging is aging is a loss of information. We actually think we found the backup hard drive. And that was the line in there that had the biggest impact on me. I've read various parts of the books because you also know I find books to be a waste of time. Yes. But I do read it and then I'll hear a topic and then I'll go look for the arguments on the other side. I'll go dig deeper on it. But that book has probably triggered more thoughts on the concept of aging for me than any book of recent times. All right. So you've mentioned the book. I love that formula, by the way. I think it would be helpful for you to kind of take us down your journey of what you have learned about aging and all of this study, if you could distill it down in the most keep it simple, stupid way possible, I think that would be very, very useful. I'm tweaking constantly, questioning going through it. But let's just break it down this way. When I said I got my first physical, came out, talked to the doctor, it was really the first time because I've never had surgery. There's no injuries I've had in my whole life, luckily. So I just asked the doctor, what should I focus on? 
said, well, you're of good health. You need to exercise. Just watch your weight. Your weight's fine, but watch your weight and keep getting physicals once a year. So that's what I focused on from really the 90s was exercise as much as possible and keep a stable weight. I've now reached the point that one of the biggest dangers for people is being weight focused. I think it's a dangerous thing. Everyone should watch their weight, but just saying watch your weight is not enough. And a lot of the problems that I think come out of it is people being obsessed with kind of the scale. I have not been on a scale for except for going to the doctor's office and I don't know how long I don't own a scale. So I don't weigh myself at all and I'm obsessed with analytics, but weight to me is not what I'm interested in, just like body mass index. So the 90s was really about my journey. And then, as I said, in 2007, I turned 40, the iPhone came out and all of a sudden a lot of things changed for me. The biggest thing that happened for me to, I would say, approach aging as a problem was the Blue Zone study that came out. The thing I love about the Blue Zone study is if you go read about it, you will get tremendous amounts of data, but you also get skeptics on the other side. And that's what I love about it because it gave me the chance to go through it. But it also set up my framework for the way I look at aging for myself. Before we go forward, can you just describe when you say the Blue Zone studies, just give us a little bit of context so everyone understands where you're going with this. The book came out and it basically picked five regions of the world where people statistically live longer than would otherwise make sense. So people that lived more often to 90 and 100 years old. One was in Costa Rica, one was in Greece, Italy, Japan, and even California. So I thought it was interesting just because you're picking five different places of the world. And what was really good is as an analytics person, they're going through the study and saying, okay, what are the commonalities behind these regions? What things came out of them? Now, the skeptics will say this is not pure science. I don't care about it. What I cared about was show me what it was, and then I'll go do my own research and figure out. And that was the birthplace of breaking stuff down. Number one, it was daily movement. What it did not say is going to Equinox and working out really hard or pounding, going <laughs> five miles. It was just daily movement. Integrating movement into your life. Yes. It was a plant-based diet primarily. Okay, and I say primarily because it was not a vegetarian diet. It was plant-based primarily, less meat. Meat was a side dish, was really the point. Sleep, very important. Consistent sleep is probably the best way for me to put it. Times of de-stressing. De-stressing, maybe it's having a family dinner and sitting around and talking about your day. Whatever the case is, meditation. De-stressing was important. Strong communities, I've reframed that over time, which is hanging around with people that bring you joy. <laughs> strong communities to me is the word people think they go, I go out with friends, I get drunk, I go through a note. It's, it's actually being around people who bring you joy, where you're being present in the moment. And I think that's what I took out of it. Fermented foods, common across them. And then one food, which... Wait, fermented foods? Fermented that, foods. Let me just double click on that. Mm -hmm. Give us a couple of different fermented foods, just so we know what you're talking about. Yogurt, kefir kombucha, things like that. So in Japan, it was more miso paste. And then of the food groups, the only one that stood out to me, and if all these things I mentioned, if you just go type blue zones in each one of those, you'll get a whole story on them. But it was the importance of beans. They all ate beans on a regular basis, almost daily, which I kind of do now, at least five days a week. So that was it. This kicked off a journey of learning for me, which continues today. It's right. expanded, but I it want was to hear the trigger point. I want to hear about that, mm -hmm. but I just want to know, this is a very important question. <laughs> Does wine count as a fermented food? <laughs> Here's the thing I will say. 
pretty much across the board, if I remember correctly, they did have one to do glasses of wine a day. Okay, good. I need to check out this study. All right, so that didn't stop your journey as you were about to get into, and I want to have you elaborate here. What have you done to build on top of the insights that you derived from studying these blue zone studies? What is the next step towards trying to get to that point where you can minimize the amount of time between your health span and your death. What steps are you now taking on top of what you have learned in the blue zone study? Okay. So here's my answer of the way that I developed my own kind of thinking on it, which I read on every single day, obviously exercise, nutrition, brain, mind, very important sleep. That one is a last three-year improvement for me that we've talked about, and I've mentioned the aura ring. The last two years, microbiome and the immune system really entered there. I was already getting into the mind-gut connection. Fascinating to watch documentaries, spend a lot of time on the importance of mushroom towards the gut, all kinds of things. But when you break it down and you say exercise, nutrition, the brain slash mind, sleep, and microbiome, so... The other thing I wanted to do was to focus on those. Anything that I did had to be efficient because to be able to do it every day, it's got to be efficient. I wanted to focus on efficiency. I walk a lot, but as part of my commute, I don't go running. I don't do a lot of different things, but I'll talk about it. And it needed to be habitual. So it had to be something that I could do every single day. So I wanted to put it into something that didn't take a lot of time, but I was doing. And that's why I think anyone can kind of go through these things and do them. The first one on exercise, I only do low impact stuff. I've even given up sports that I like to play. I played basketball with the guys here. And I think it was like six, seven years ago, I stepped on someone's ankle And they're like, you're too important to get hurt. That's it. And I like limped off with a sprained ankle and I was kicked out. And I said, you know what? They're right. Why would I keep playing this when I'm going to get hurt? I ski, which most people think is dangerous, but I am a good skier and I just don't ski crazy. So I'm doing it to be out in nature. But exercise is low impact. It's high intensity interval training at times. And that's really to get my heart rate up. It takes less time so I can get on a bike and I can do it for six minutes and it's a full exercise. My weight resistance training is 30 minutes and it's based on flexibility and muscle. The brain mind, I meditate each morning. The breathing device I mentioned. Creativity, I try to make sure that I'm doing something creative, whether it's this podcast, whether it's learning Web 3.0, whether it's writing a paper, doing something. I'm constantly trying to create and keep my brain going. And I am spending time in nature whenever I can. Obviously, during the week when I'm here, it's a little bit hard. But on the weekends, I try to get out in nature just to get fresh air and to not have the stimulus. And then I have a general rule, which is at 730, I'm kind of shut off from the world. I don't communicate with people except for my kids. 930, I'm in bed very seldom. If I can avoid it, am I not in bed by 9.30? If I have the same conditions for when I go to sleep in the room, so the temperature is the same, regardless of whether it's wintertime or summertime. And I have a, a phrase that has helped me a lot with my sleep, probably the number one thing outside of consistency, which is what I used to say to my kids is nothing good happens after 11 o'clock. So try to get your butt inside at 11. Well, what I say about <laughs> food is nothing good from food happens after 7.30. (laughs) So this way I'm done eating. My body's not digesting and working when I go to bed at 9.30. So that's kind of what I do on a regular basis. Everybody knows that you are very active on your Bloomberg and that you use it quite extensively 
in your day job. There's obviously no Bloomberg terminal for your health, but you mentioned the Aura Ring. Can you just talk a little bit about the tools you use to gather the data and analytics on your health? Yeah. And again, these are to help the efficiency and the habitual nature. So let me go in order of when I use them. The first thing that gets used is my Aura Ring. When I wake up in the morning, the very first thing I do is look at my sleep score. And for those of you who don't really realize what this is, this is better than a physical as far as I'm concerned, because I'm getting daily data on my body temperature, resting heart rate, HRV, heart rate variability, my respiration rate, so I get to see my breathing rate, the sleep time efficiency, including REM, deep sleep. It gives me my blood oxygen level each morning. So overnight, I get to see if it's between 95 and 100%. I have it on my watch too, so my iWatch has it too, but I get a readiness score then and a sleep score. And so the first thing right at the beginning is what was my sleep like and those are most of your vital functions. It doesn't have blood pressure yet. I'm sure at some point I'll have blood pressure readings overnight too. But that gives me a sense when I wake up in the morning, am I healthy? The day that I had COVID, I knew I had COVID when I woke up and I saw my sleep score and I saw various components of this, including the blood oxygen level. So the morning I had it, I woke up, I was like, "Ooh, I feel tired. And I looked and I was like, okay, I definitely have COVID and I did have COVID. So that's the first thing. I use the bullet next. The bullet is my blender. It's where I have my smoothies. My smoothie ends up being my multivitamin for the day. It has over 100 plants in it because of the powders I have in it. it. has fermented foods, has berries, has bananas, has a whole bunch of stuff. But that's the way I make sure that I've now gotten the nutrients I need for the day. Then I go right into my meditation app. And that takes me, I usually do a five-minute meditation, but that's the end of it. And then I use the breather to get my day going. And I have my blood pressure machine that I take my uh, weekly blood pressure readings just to make sure. So I use a lot of technology, like I do the Bloomberg. But the Aura Ring in particular is the most important because it's a daily analytic. And I've now had it for three years. And I cannot recommend it enough to people to pay attention to their sleep score. If you focus on getting your sleep score better it will absolutely lead to a more healthy life. Yeah, and it gamifies the experience. I recorded a 76 yesterday, and that's below my average, and so I'll probably go to bed a little bit earlier tonight. I mean, I noticed the patterns. I know the a lot of kids hate Sundays. They're going back to school. They tend to get anxiety. They feel it. They get a little stressed, but they don't have an aura ring on. I can tell you with certainty, my Fridays and Saturdays are the highest sleep score I get consistently. When I go on vacation to Maine, my sleep score is consistently high. When I have work and I have to get up on Monday, it's the worst day. Tuesday gets a little better, so Wednesday's better. If you haven't noticed these patterns yet, they are absolutely real. It's one of the reasons why you want to keep monitoring because if all of a sudden your breathing rate started changing, right now mine's about 15 breaths per minute. If it went up to 22 or it went down to 10, these are outside of the normal range, but there were also things that would say a pattern shift. And I'd be curious as to what happened to do this. When you have daily data, and that's part of the future of technology, you will have better readings on when there's something going on in your body that isn't normal. So the Aura Ring or the Whoop is another one that people use. They just give you so many good analytics. I use four different apps on my iWatch, which is one of the reasons I have an iWatch, is because of the fact that I can have different apps. So I don't trust the readings as much as I do on the Aura Ring. But by getting four other ones, I kind of measure, and even though their accuracy may not be as good, it's pretty much a given that when I have a very good sleep score on ordering, I also have a very good sleep score on these other apps. I know you have talked a lot about happiness. What is the role of happiness in longevity? 
my belief in this kind of gets into a portfolio analysis again. So I think you need some pain in life to be happy. I think life has ups and downs and some of the most happy periods of my life are coming back from failure. So coming back from pain, what you're trying to do is eliminate chronic pain or structural pain. Well, in portfolios, we're trying to maximize returns and minimize drawdowns. And that's when people don't take risks, when they put fears into their children and their children don't take risks. I see it happen all the time with people when I interview them or they work here. Growing up with a lot of fears can keep you from taking risks. And I think that directly comes back into happiness. To really enjoy life, I think you have to avoid chronic pain. And that is one of the reasons why when it comes to aging, if you go pounding your knees every day running, and you knew that 30 years from now, you were going to have serious pain in your knees. You might question if you were doing that and you would start swimming or riding a bike. Now there's consequences from riding a bike or swimming. But the reality is I'm trying constantly to think about will this cause pain or will it cause joy? One of the simplest ways to even think about that gets back to the Blue Zone study, which is strong communities. You have a life where you surround yourself with people. And I try to tell my kids this. I remember with some athletes and people like this is when they would kill themselves. Were they around the right people at the right time? Everything in life to me has a pain consequence to it. And toxins, whether they're toxic foods, toxic pollution, toxic people, it doesn't really matter. I think they bring pain. So I go back to happiness and say you have to surround yourself with joy and the joy in your body is going to be a lack of pain. And I think if you can get there, then your health span can equate to your lifespan. So I think happiness not only has been proven to be important for longevity, but I think it's extremely important to focus on it, to narrow that gap between lifespan and health span. But it also sounds like you need to take some risks as well. Yes. I don't think life can be fun without taking risks. I mentioned, I think lean meat is better than, than saturated fat meat. Organ meat is better than filet mignon, but I don't like organ meat and I love burgers. So occasionally I'll take a little risk, have a little burger and just go through it. I don't think the temporary things in life of taking risks are bad. And I do think the people that I've met that are the happiest, they just have a good balance between taking risk and failing, getting up from it. And I'm just saying some of the greatest, the Jets won two games this year. So I do like the failure and the getting back up as long as it doesn't happen too often. Doing a health-based podcast for a couple of financial guys like us, you could even call that a risk, right? You know what? It might be a risk, but we're all in some ways medical people. If for no other reason that we have the tools to go learn the same way that doctors do about what could make us healthy, we don't have the biases where... I think a lot of doctors have a bias because they've been focused on one part of the body. They may not know about all of them. Most doctors, from what I know about the medical community, don't spend a lot on nutrition. It wasn't, from what I know, part of the necessary curriculum when you're going through the massive amounts of school. So all of us in some framework, we're our best people on our own body. And I think every doctor would say to you, you know your body better than I do. So tell me how you feel. You know your family history more than I do. So I don't think we're stepping out of our balance here. It's something I spend as much time on to some degree when you combine it as I have the markets and I eat every single day. So I do as well. We have that in common. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed doing this. And as I mentioned at the onset, this is the first of several that we're going to explore here. It's such a crucial topic. Thanks, G3. This podcast should not be reproduced, 
copied, distributed, or published in whole or in part. This podcast is presented for informational purposes only. The views expressed herein are subject to change without notice. Information in this podcast is based on data regarding current market conditions from sources believed to be reliable. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, legal, tax, or other advice and should not be viewed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any securities or adopt any investment strategy. You should consult your own advisors regarding business, legal, tax, or other matters concerning investment. Any health-related information shared on this podcast is not intended as medical advice or for use in self-diagnosis or treatment. Please consult a qualified healthcare professional before acting upon any health-related information on this podcast. Please review related show notes for this podcast and visit www.gweiss.com to review related disclosures and learn more about Weiss.